0: Chapter Thirteen of Hans Christian Andersen Fairy Tales and Short Stories, Volume Five, eighteen sixty to eighteen sixty-five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jessica Marie from Novato, California. Hans Christian Andersen Fairy Tales and Short Stories volume five eighteen sixty to eighteen sixty five by hans christian Andersen, translated by h p paul eighteen twelve to eighteen eighty eight the ice maiden part one one little rudy we will pay a visit to switzerland and wander through that country of mountains whose steep and rocky sides are overgrown with forest trees let us climb to the dazzling snow-fields at their summits and descend again to the green meadows beneath through which rivers and brooks rush along as if they could not quickly enough reach the sea and vanish fiercely shines the sun over those deep valleys as well as upon the heavy masses of snow which lie on the mountains during the year these accumulations thaw or fall into the rolling avalanche or are piled up in shining glaciers two of these glaciers lie in the broad rocky cliffs between the schreckhorn and the wetterhorn near the little town of grindelwald they're wonderful to behold and therefore in the summer time strangers come here from all parts of the world to see them they cross snow-covered mountains and travel through the deep valleys or ascend for hours higher and still higher the valleys appearing to sink lower and lower as they proceed and become as small as if seen from an air balloon over the lofty summits of these mountains the clouds often hang like a dark veil while beneath in the valley where many brown wooden houses are scattered about the bright rays of the sun may be shining upon a little brilliant patch of green making it appear almost transparent the waters foam and dash along in the valleys beneath the streams from above trickle and murmur as they fall down the rocky mountain side looking like glittering silver bands on both sides of the mountain path stand these little wooden houses and as within there are many children and many mouths to feed each house has its own little potato garden these children rush out in swarms and surround travellers whether on foot or in carriages they're all clever at making a bargain they offer for sale the sweetest little toy houses models of the mountain cottages in switzerland Whether it be rain or sunshine, these crowds of children are always to be seen with their wares. About twenty years ago, there might be seen occasionally, standing at a short distance from the other children, a little boy, who was also anxious to sell his curious wares. He had an earnest, expressive countenance, and held the box containing his carved toys tightly with both hands, as if unwilling to part with it. His earnest look, and being also a very little boy, made him noticed by the strangers, so that he often sold the most without knowing why. An hour's walk farther up the ascent lived his grandfather, who cut and carved the pretty little toy houses, and in the old man's room stood a large press, full of all sorts of carved things, nutcrackers, knives and forks, boxes with beautifully carved foliage, leaping chamois. It contained everything that could delight the eyes of a child. But the boy, who was named Rudy, looked with still greater pleasure and longing at some old firearms which hung upon the rafters under the ceiling of the room. His grandfather promised him that he should have them some day, but that he must first grow big and strong and learn how to use them small as he was the goats were placed in his care and a good goat-keeper should also be a good climber and such Rudy was he sometimes indeed climbed higher than the goats for he was fond of seeking for birds nests at the top of high trees he was bold and daring but was seldom seen to smile excepting when he stood by the roaring cataract or heard the descending roll of the avalanche he never played with the other children and was not seen with them unless his grandfather sent him down to sell his curious workmanship rudy did not much like trade he loved to climb the mountains or to sit by his grandfather and listen to his tales of olden times or of the people in maidingen the place of his birth in the early ages of the world said the old man these people could not be found in switzerland their colony from the north, where their ancestors still dwell and are called Swedes. This was something for Rudy to know, but he learnt more from other sources, particularly from the domestic animals who belonged to the house. One was a large dog called Ahola, which had belonged to his father, and the other was a tomcat. This cat stood very high in Rudy's favour, for he had taught him to climb. Come out on the roof with me said the cat, and Rudy quite understood him, for the language of fowls, ducks, cats, and dogs is as easily understood by a young child as his own native tongue. But it must be at the age when grandfather's stick became a neighing horse with head, legs, and tail. Some children retain these ideas later than others, and they're considered backwards and childish for their age. People say so, but is it so?' come out on the roof with me little rudy was the first thing he heard the cat say and rudy understood him what people say about falling down is all nonsense continued the cat you will not fall unless you are afraid come now set one foot here and another there and feel your way with your forefeet. keep your eyes wide open and move softly and if you come to a hole jump over it and cling fast as i do And this was just what rudy did he was often on the sloping roof of the cat or on the tops of high trees but more frequently higher still on the ridges of the rocks where pus never came higher higher cried the trees in the bushes see to what height we have grown and how fast we hold even to the narrow edges of the rocks rudy often reached the top of the mountain before the sunrise and there inhaled his morning draught of the fresh, invigorating mountain air, God's own gift, which men call the sweet fragrance of plant and herb on the mountainside, and the mint and wild thyme in the valleys. The overhanging clouds absorb all heaviness from the air, and the winds convey them away over the pine-tree summits. The spirit of fragrance, light and fresh, remained behind, and this was Rudy's morning draught the sunbeams, those blessing-bringing daughters of the sun, kissed his cheeks. Vertigo might be lurking on the watch, but he dared not approach him. The swallows, who had not less than seven nests in his grandfather's house, flew up to him and his goats, singing, We and you, you and we. They brought him greetings from his grandfather's house, even from two hens, the only birds of the household. But Rudy was not intimate with them although so young and such a little fellow rudy had travelled a great deal he was born in the canton of valais and brought to his grandfather over the mountains he had walked to staubich a little town that seemed to flutter in the air like a silver veil the glittering snow-clad mountain jungfrau he had also been to the great glaciers but this is connected with a sad story for here his mother met her death, and his grandfather used to say that all Rudy's childish merriment was lost from that time. His mother had written in a letter that before he was a year old he had laughed more than he had cried, but after his fall into the snow-covered crevice his disposition had completely changed. The grandfather seldom spoke of this, but the fact was generally known rudy's father had been a postilion and the large dog which now lived in his grandfather's cottage had always followed him on his journeys over the Simplon to the lake of geneva rudy's relations on his father's side lived in the canton of villay and in the valley of the rhone his uncle was a chamois hunter and a well-known guide rudy was only a year old when his father died and his mother was anxious to return with her child to her own relations who lived in the bernice oberland her father dwelt at a few hours distance from grindelwald he was a carver in wood and gained so much by it that he had plenty to live upon she set out homewards in the month of june carrying her infant in her arms and accompanied by two chamois hunters crossed the jemmy on her way to grindelwald they had already left more than half the journey behind them they had crossed high ridges and traversed snow-fields they could even see her native valley with its familiar wooden cottages they had only one more glacier to climb some newly fallen snow concealed a cleft which though it did not extend to the foaming waters in the depths beneath was still much deeper than the height of a man. the young woman with a child in her arms slipped upon it sank in and disappeared not a shriek not a groan was heard nothing but the whining of a little child more than an hour elapsed before her two companions could obtain from the nearest house ropes and poles to assist in raising them and it was with much exertion that they at last succeeded in raising from the crevice what appeared to be two dead bodies every means was used to restore them to life with the child they were successful but not with the mother so the old grandfather received his daughter's little son into his house an orphan a little boy who laughed more than he cried but it seemed as if laughter had left him in the cold ice world into which he had fallen where as the swiss peasants say the souls of the lost are confined till the judgment day The glaciers appear as if a rushing stream had been frozen in its course, and pressed into blocks of green crystal, which, balanced one upon another, form a wondrous palace of crystal for the ice maiden, the queen of the glaciers. It is she whose mighty power can crush the traveller to death, and arrest the flowing river in its course she's also a child of the air and with the swiftness of the chamois she can reach the snow-covered mountain tops where the boldest mountaineer has to cut footsteps in the ice to ascend she will sail on a frail pine twig over the raging torrents beneath and spring lightly from one iceberg to another with her long snow-white hair flowing around her and her dark green robe glittering like the waters of the deep swiss lakes mine is the power to seize and crush she cried once a beautiful boy was stolen from me by man a boy whom i had kissed but had not kissed to death he is again among mankind and tends the goats on the mountains he is always climbing higher and higher far away from all others but not from me he is mine i will send for him and she gave vertigo the commission it was summer and the ice maiden was melting amidst the green verdure when vertigo swung himself up and down vertigo has many brothers quite a troop of them and the ice maiden chose the strongest among them they exercise their power in different ways and everywhere some sit on the banisters of steep stairs others on the outer rails of lofty towers or spring-like squirrels along the ridges of the mountains Others tread the air as a swimmer treads the water, and lure their victims here and there till they fall into the deep abyss. Vertigo and the ice maiden clutch at human beings, as the polypus seizes upon all that comes within its reach. And now Vertigo was to seize Rudy. "'Seize him, indeed!' cried Vertigo. "'I cannot do it! That monster of a cat has taught him her tricks. That child of the human race has a power within him which keeps me at a distance.' I cannot possibly reach the boy when he hangs from the branches of trees over the precipice, or I would gladly tickle his feet and send him heels overhead through the air. But I cannot accomplish it. We must accomplish it, said the ice maiden. Either you or I must, and I will, I will. No, no, sounded through the air, like an echo on the mountain church bell's chime. It was an answer in song, in the melting tones of a chorus from others of nature's spirits, good and loving spirits, the daughters of the sunbeam, they who place themselves in a circle every evening on the mountain peaks. There they spread out their rose-colored wings, which, as the sun sinks, become more flaming red, until the lofty Alps seem to burn with fire. Men call this the Alpine glow. After the sun has set, they disappear within the white snow on the mountain-tops, and slumber there till sunrise, when they again come forth. They have great love for flowers, for butterflies, and for mankind, and from among the latter they had chosen little Rudy. You shall not catch him, you shall not seize him, they sang. Greater and stronger than he have I seized, said the ice-maiden. Then the daughters of the sun sang a song of the traveller whose cloak had been carried away by the wind the wind took the covering but not the man it could even seize upon him but not hold him fast the children of strength are more powerful more ethereal even than we are they can rise higher than our parent the sun they have the magic words that rule the wind and the waves and compel them to serve and obey and they can at last cast off the heavy oppressive weight of mortality and soar upwards thus sweetly sounded the bell-like tones of the chorus and each morning the sun's rays shone through the one little window of the grandfather's house upon the quiet child the daughters of the sunbeam kissed him they wished to thaw and melt and obliterate the ice-kiss which the queenly maiden of the glaciers had given him as he lay in the lap of his dead mother in the deep crevice of ice from which he had been so wonderfully rescued two the journey to the new home rudy was just eight years old when his uncle who lived on the other side of the mountain wished to have the boy as he thought he might obtain a better education with him and learn something more his grandfather thought the same so he consented to let him go rudy had many to say farewell to as well as his grandfather first there was ahola the old dog your father was the postilion and i was the postilion's dog said ahola we have often travelled the same journey together I knew all the dogs and men on this side of the mountain it is not my habit to talk much but now that we have so little time to converse together i will say something more than usual i will relate to you a story which i have reflected upon for a long time i do not understand it and very likely you will not but that is of no consequence i have however learnt from it that in this world things are not equally divided neither for dogs nor for men all are not born to lie on the lap and to drink milk i have never been petted in this way but i have seen a little dog seated in the place of a gentleman or a lady and travelling inside a post-chaise the lady who was his mistress or of whom he was master carried a bottle of milk of which the little dog now and then drank she also offered him pieces of sugar to crunch he sniffed at them proudly but would not eat one so she ate them herself i was running along the dirty road by the side of the carriage as hungry as a dog could be chewing the cud of my own thoughts which were rather in confusion but many other things seemed in confusion also why was not i lying on a lap and travelling in a coach i could not tell yet i knew i could not alter my own condition either by barking or growling this was a Hola's farewell speech and rudy threw his arms round the dog's neck and kissed his cold nose then he took the cat in his arms but he struggled to get free you're getting too strong for me he said but i will not use my claws against you clamber away over the mountains it was i who taught you to climb Do not fancy you're going to fall, and you'll be quite safe. Then the cat jumped down and ran away. He did not wish Rudy to see that there were tears in his eyes. The hens were hopping about the floor. One of them had no tail. A traveler, who had fancied himself a sportsman, had shot off her tail. He had mistaken her for a bird of prey. Rudy's going away over the mountains, said one of the hens. He's always in such a hurry, said the other, and I don't like taking leave so they both hopped out. But the goats said farewell. They bleated and wanted to go with him. They were so very sorry. Just at this time two clever guides were going across the mountains to the other side of the gemmi, and Rudy was to go with them on foot. It was a long walk for such a little boy, but he had plenty of strength and invincible courage. The swallows flew with him a little way, singing, We and you, you and we the way led across the rushing luchin which falls in numerous streams from the dark clefts of the Grundelwald glaciers trunks of fallen trees and blocks of stone form bridges over these streams after passing a forest of alders they began to ascend passing by some blocks of ice that had loosened themselves from the side of the mountain and lay across their path they had to step over these ice-blocks or walk round them rudy crept here and ran there his eyes sparkling with joy as he stepped so firmly with his iron-tipped mountain shoe that he left a mark behind him wherever he placed his foot the earth was black where the mountain torrents or the melted ice had poured upon it but the bluish-green glassy ice sparkled and glittered they had to go around little pools little lakes enclosed between large masses of ice and while thus wandering out of their path they came near an immense stone which lay balanced on the edge of an icy peak the stone lost its balance just as they reached it and rolled over into the abyss beneath while the noise of its fall was echoed back from every hollow cliff of the glaciers They were always going upwards. The glaciers seemed to spread above them like a continued chain of masses of ice, piled up in wild confusion between bare and rugged rocks. Rudy thought for a moment of what had been told him, that he and his mother had once lain buried in one of these cold, heart-chilling fissures. But he soon banished such thoughts and looked upon the story as fabulous, like many other stories which had been told him once or twice when the men thought the way was rather difficult for such a little boy they held out their hands to assist him but he would not accept their assistance for he stood on the slippery ice as firmly as if he had been a chamois. they came at length to rocky ground sometimes stepping upon moss-covered stones sometimes passing beneath stunted fir-trees and again through green meadows the landscape was always changing but ever above them towered the lofty snow-clad mountains whose names not only rudy but every other child knew the jungfrau the monk and the eiger rudy had never been so far away before he had never trodden on the wide-spreading ocean of snow that lay here with its immovable billows from which the wind blows off the snowflake now and then as it cuts the foam from the waves of the sea the glaciers stand here so close together it might almost be said they are hand in hand and each is a crystal palace for the ice maiden whose power and will it is to seize and imprison the unwary traveller the sun shone warmly and the snow sparkled as if covered with glittering diamonds numerous insects especially butterflies and bees lay dead in heaps on the snow they had ventured too high or the wind had carried them here and left them to die of cold around the wetter horn hung a feathery cloud like a wool bag and a threatening cloud too for as it sunk lower it increased in size and concealed within was a foon, fearful in its violence should it break loose this journey with its varied incidents the wild paths the night passed on the mountain the steep rocky precipices the hollow clefts in which the rustling waters from time immemorial had worn away passages for themselves through blocks of stone, all these were firmly impressed on Rudy's memory. In a forsaken stone building, which stood just beyond the seas of snow, they one night took shelter. Here they found some charcoal and pine branches, so that they soon made a fire. They arranged couches to lie on as well as they could, and then the men, seated themselves by the fire, took out their pipes, and began to smoke. They also prepared a warm, spiced drink, of which they partook, and Rudy was not forgotten. He had his share. Then they began to talk of those mysterious beings with which the land of the Alps abounds, the hosts of apparitions which come in the night and carry off the sleepers through the air to the wonderful floating town of Venice of the wild herdsman who drives the black sheep across the meadows these flocks are never seen yet the tinkle of their little bells has often been heard as well as their unearthly bleeding rudy listened eagerly but without fear for he knew not what fear meant and while he listened he fancied he could hear the roaring of the spectral herd it seemed to come nearer and roar louder till the men heard it also and listened in silence till at length they told rudy that he must not dare to sleep it was a fun, that violent storm-wind which rushes from the mountain to the valley beneath and in its fury snaps asunder the trunks of large trees as if they were but slender reeds and carries the wooden houses from one side of a river to the other as easily as we could move the pieces on a chessboard. after an hour had passed they told rudy that it was all over and he might go to sleep and fatigued with his long walk he readily slept at the word of command very early the following morning they again set out the sun on this day lighted up for rudy new mountains new glaciers and new snowfields they had entered the canton Valley and found themselves on the ridge of the hills which can be seen from grindelwald but he was still far from his new home they pointed out to him other clefts other meadows other woods and rocky paths and other houses strange men made their appearance before him and what men they were misshapen wretched-looking creatures with yellow complexions and on their necks were dark ugly lumps of flesh hanging down like bags they were called Cretans. they dragged themselves along painfully and stared at the strangers with vacant eyes the women looked more dreadful than the men poor rudy WERE THESE THE SORT OF PEOPLE HE SHOULD SEE AT HIS NEW HOME? Three, THE UNCLE. RUDY ARRIVED AT LAST AT HIS UNCLE'S HOUSE, AND WAS THANKFUL TO FIND THE PEOPLE LIKE THOSE HE HAD BEEN ACCUSTOMED TO SEE. THERE WAS ONLY ONE CRETIN AMONGST THEM, A POOR IDIOT BOY, ONE OF THOSE UNFORTUNATE BEINGS WHO, IN THEIR NEGLECTED CONDITIONS, GO FROM HOUSE TO HOUSE AND ARE RECEIVED AND TAKEN CARE OF IN DIFFERENT FAMILIES FOR A MONTH OR TWO AT A TIME. Poor Superley had just arrived at his uncle's house when Rudy came. The uncle was an experienced hunter. He also followed the trade of a cooper. His wife was a lively little person, with a face like a bird, eyes like those of an eagle, and a long, hairy throat. Everything was new to Rudy—the fashion of the dress, the manners, the employments, and even the language—but the latter his childish ear would soon learn he saw also that there was more wealth here when compared with his former home at his grandfather's the rooms were larger the walls were adorned with the horns of the chamois and brightly polished guns over the door hung a painting of the virgin mary fresh alpine roses and a burning lamp stood near it rudy's uncle was as we have said one of the most noted chamois hunters in the whole district and also one of the best guides rudy soon became the pet of the house but there was another pet an old hound blind and lazy who would never more follow the hunt well as he had once done so but his former good qualities were not forgotten and therefore the animal was kept in the family and treated with every indulgence rudy stroked the old hound but he did not like the strangers and rudy was as yet a stranger he did not however long remain so He soon endeared himself to every heart, and became like one of the family. "'We are not very badly off here, in the Canton Valais,' said his uncle one day. "'We have the chamois, they do not die so fast as the wild goats, and it is certainly much better here now than in former times. How highly the old times have been spoken of, but ours is better. The bag has been opened, and a current of air now blows through our once-confined valley. Something better always makes its appearance when old, worn-out things fail. When his uncle became communicative, he would relate stories of his youthful days, and farther back still of the warlike times in which his father had lived. Valais was then, as he expressed it, only a closed-up bag, quite full of sick people, miserable cretins. But the French soldiers came, and they were capital doctors. They soon killed the disease and the sick people, too." the french people knew how to fight in more ways than one and the girls knew how to conquer too and when he said this the uncle nodded at his wife who was a french woman by birth and laughed the french could also do battles on the stones it was they who cut a road out of the solid rock over the Simplon, such a road that i need only say to a child of three years old go down to italy you have only to keep in the high road and the child will soon arrive in italy if he followed my directions then the uncle sang a french song and cried hurrah long live napoleon bonaparte this was the first time rudy had ever heard of france or of lyons that great city on the Rhone where his uncle had once lived his uncle said that rudy in a very few years would become a clever hunter he had quite a talent for it he taught the boy to hold a gun properly and to load and fire it In the hunting season, he took him to the hills and made him drink the warm blood of the chamois, which is said to prevent the hunter from becoming giddy. He taught him to know the time when, from the different mountains, the avalanche is likely to fall, namely, at noontide or in the evening, from the effects of the sun's rays. He made him observe the movements of the chamois when he gave a leap, so that he might fall firmly and lightly on his feet he told him that when on the fissures of the rocks he could find no place for his feet he must support himself on his elbows and cling with his legs and even lean firmly with his back for this could be done when necessary he told him also that the chamois are very cunning they place lookers out on the watch but the hunter must be more cunning than they are and find them out by scent One day, when Rudy went out hunting with his uncle, he hung a coat and hat on an alpine staff, and the chamois mistook it for a man, as they generally do. The mountain path was narrow here. Indeed, it was scarcely a path at all, only a kind of shelf close to the yawning abyss. The snow that lay upon it was partially thawed, and the stones crumbled beneath the feet every fragment of stone broken off struck the sides of the rock in its fall till it rolled into the depths beneath and sunk to rest upon this shelf rudy's uncle laid himself down and crept forward at about a hundred paces behind him stood rudy upon the highest point of the rock watching a great vulture hovering in the air with a single stroke of his wing the bird might easily cast the creeping hunter into the abyss beneath and make him his prey Rudy's uncle had eyes for nothing but the chamois, who, with its young kid, had just appeared round the edge of the rock. So Rudy kept his eyes fixed on the bird. He knew well what the great creature wanted. Therefore, he stood in readiness to discharge his gun at the proper moment. Suddenly, the chamois made a spring, and his uncle fired and struck the animal with a deadly bullet while the young kid rushed away, as if for a long life he had been accustomed to danger and practiced flight. The large bird, alarmed at the report of the gun, wheeled off in another direction, and Rudy's uncle was saved from danger, of which he knew nothing till he was told of it by the boy. While they were both in pleasant mood, wending their way homewards, and the uncle whistling the tune of a song he had learnt in his young days, they suddenly heard a peculiar sound which seemed to come from the top of the mountain. They looked up, and saw above them, on the overhanging rock, the snow covering heave and lift itself as a piece of linen stretched on the ground to dry raises itself when the wind creeps under it. Smooth as polished marble slabs, the waves of snow cracked and loosened themselves, and then suddenly, with a rumbling noise of distant thunder, fell like a foaming cataract into the abyss an avalanche had fallen not upon rudy and his uncle but very near them alas a great deal too near hold fast rudy cried his uncle hold fast with all your might then rudy clung with his arms to the trunk of the nearest tree while his uncle climbed above him and held fast by the branches the avalanche rolled past them at some distance but the gust of wind that followed like the storm-wings of the avalanche snapped asunder the trees and bushes over which it swept as if they had been but dry rushes and threw them about in every direction the tree to which rudy clung was thus overthrown and rudy dashed to the ground the higher branches were snapped off and carried away to a great distance and among these shattered branches lay rudy's uncle with his skull fractured When they found him, his hand was still warm, but it would have been impossible to recognize his face. Rudy stood by, pale and trembling. It was the first shock of his life, the first time he had ever felt fear. Late in the evening he returned home with the fatal news, to that home which was now to be so full of sorrow. His uncle's wife uttered not a word, nor shed a tear, till the corpse was brought in. Then her agony burst forth. THE POOR cretin CREPT AWAY TO HIS BED, AND NOTHING WAS SEEN OF HIM DURING THE WHOLE OF THE FOLLOWING DAY. TOWARDS EVENING, HOWEVER, HE CAME TO RUDY AND SAID, WILL YOU WRITE A LETTER FOR ME? SUPPERLY CANNOT WRITE. SUPPERLY CAN ONLY TAKE THE LETTERS TO THE POST. A LETTER FOR YOU, SAID RUDY. WHO DO YOU WISH TO WRITE TO? TO THE LORD CHRIST, HE REPLIED. WHAT DO YOU MEAN? ASKED RUDY. Then the poor idiot, as the cretin was often called, looked at Rudy with the most touching expression in his eyes, clasped his hands, and said solemnly and devoutly, "'Superly wants to send a letter to Jesus Christ, to pray him to let Superly die, and not the master of the house here.' Rudy pressed his hands and replied, "'A letter would not reach him up above. It would not give him back whom we have lost.' It was not, however, easy for Rudy to convince Apurley of the impossibility of doing what he wished. Now you must work for us," said his foster mother, and Rudy very soon became the entire support of the house. End of the Ice Maiden, Part One. Recording by Jessica Marie from Novato, California.